What is Christian community? That's the question we're asking together week after week this spring because the Lord Jesus did not recruit 12 men to be individual learners in a classroom. No, Jesus called together a community of men, of disciples, to become a pilot project to the world, to prefigure what the church was to be. And God calls you and He calls me into not just a personal spiritual experience with God. He calls us into a community of faith together. And so if you're willing and able, let's stand together as I read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 down through verse 23. Please hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. There's an old prophecy in a Phrygian city many, many years ago that said, if anybody can untie the Gordian knot, then he shall become the king of all of Asia. The story started where in this Phrygian capital, there was a man who came into the city. His name was Gordius, who had ridden in on an ox cart, and he became king. And his son, who was King Midas, tied his ox cart into the center post of the city and said, this will forever be a reminder of the way that the gods have protected our city through my father, King Gordius. And the knot, which was tied to the center of the town, became known as the Gordian knot. And for hundreds of years, it remained there tied until the prophecy began to be discussed and talked about that anybody who could untie the ox cart, could break the Gordian knot, they would become the king of all of Asia. And one day into the town rides Alexander the Great in 333 B.C. And he finds the Gordian knot and he unties it. Friends, in our community, the Gordian knot is just that. Community. Community. 
There are so many churches in our area. And yet, the one thing that is so apparent amongst all of you is that we have a sense of loneliness about us. Or even in the one place where we should be able to be completely open and honest with each other, we actually find it very, very difficult. Community is for the Christian in 2018, the Gordian knot. And I'm going to ask you, as I pass this around, if you will begin to untie this Gordian knot, it will take all of us to do it. I don't know where it begins and ends, but there are knots, many of them in it. And hopefully by the end of this sermon, as it's passed around, we will have an untied knot, one string, all of our hands have touched, holding the rope together. So, TJ, good luck. Untie it, pass it around. It's going to get messy and unwieldy. The rope will dangle between the aisles. Keep it together. Figure out how to untie the Gordian knot. Jesus Christ did not call us together to be individuals. He called us together to be the church. And yet when I survey you, the general survey comes back like this. What keeps you from being in community together? Well, listen, it's just like we all have different agendas. Or we all um, are in different stages of life. Or I don't, I don't really have the time to give to another thing. It takes work to be part of community. And that's true. Being part of community is kind of like going to the dentist, as one of you said to me this week. Like, nobody wants to go. When people ask you out for dinner, you, really, you don't really want to go, but you do. And when you go and you leave that house, you're always glad you went. It's kind of like the dentist. When you leave, you can't help but smile because you can feel the ridges of your teeth. You didn't want to go, but you're glad you finally went. Community, friends, is for us. It is not the goal of the church. It is the natural context in which we grow in our relationship with Christ. TJ, pass the rope. If you can't figure it out, pass it on. The Gordian knot. Here it is. What are the obstacles to community? They all boil down to two. Time and effort. And what are the resources that we have in Ephesians to begin to untie this great Gordian knot? Let's look. First, community. Time. If you read this passage, you'll notice that down in verse 20, it says, Far above all rule and authority, or verse 20, that he worked in us in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, past tense, seated him in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father now. He has raised us up and he has seated us with him. And he has put Jesus over all rule, power, and authority, not only in this age, but in the age to come. But here we are in a world where 24 hours makes a day. And there's only so many community groups we can go to. There's only so many relationships we can invest our life into. And here Paul, by reminding us of this tension that we have, of though we are seated with Christ at his right hand, as though we are already there. We are, and yet we're not. Paul gives us this tension, and he talks about time for the Christian, where we are already saved, but we're not yet fully saved. And this tension is almost 
infinitely practical when it comes to relationships because we view our relationships much like we view money, almost purely in economic terms. Is the cost of my time with this person worth the return that I'm going to get back? There's a sociologist in the late 80s whose name was uh, Robert Bella who became famous for this article called Bowling Alone, why there was an increase in bowlers in America but a decrease in bowling leagues, why people love to bowl by themselves. And he became the leading sociologist in this idea of expressive individualism. And a corollary of expressive individualism is the idea that we view our relationships almost purely in economic terms. And Paul here is pulling us out of that context to remind us that you cannot view relationships in terms of economics because you're assuming that you know the right metrics for that economy to work well, and you don't. Paul is pulling us out of our expressive individualism into community, into risking time for one another, which is difficult, it takes effort, it takes energy, and it takes our greatest resource, time. Our use of time is susceptible to overscheduling, to doubt, to anxiety, fear, misprioritization, and it all began with the fall, as Maggie read for us earlier in the service. The fall where Adam and Eve, there in the garden, in God's presence, with all the time in the world, they wanted to be like God. And Satan said, did God really say to this? Did he really say that you shouldn't eat any of the of the fruit in the tree of the garden. And you know why he said that, Eve? It's because you can be like him. And in our use of time, we go back to the garden in that we want to be like God because we want to control it. What if Jesus were to say to you, and I believe he is saying to me and to you in Ephesians chapter 1, spending time with other brothers and sisters in Christ is not an option in your spiritual growth. It is assumed, and it is part of the context in which you grow. All of the book of Ephesians was written to the church. Notice all the plurals. In English, you can't tell if you is plural or singular, but in Greek, it's always plural here. And notice in verse 18 where it says, The hope to which he has called you are the glorious, uh, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Where? To the saints? For you? Oh, saint, in the saints is what the text says. That it's in the community of faith that you actually begin to see the gospel bloom in ways that you can never see it again. What's the first obstacle to you becoming part of a community where you're really known and seen and loved and cherished in the church? Number one, it's time. I just want to name it. Because we tend to view time, we tend to view our relationships in terms of economics. And the gospel says you are already but not yet, and you live in between the times. There's a tension in the way that you use time. And the way that we are brought out of that tension, the one way that we know that we are using our time well is when you are investing into each other. And let me just say to the extroverts, you know what that means for you? You have no problem initiating relationships. The challenge to you is to maintain them. And introverts, you can maintain them once they're going, but it is hard to initiate, isn't it? So whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, the call is the same, to lean into relationships. Oh, be careful of the day in which you live. 
expressive individualism and the economic use of relationships destroys your spiritual growth. Second, not only time, but also effort. Effort. Paul, when he talks in this passage, says that the gifts that have been given to us are given to us through Christ. And in verse 21, he says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul would say that the gifts that he gives us are given to Christ. And Christ is seated at the right hand, and he has raised us up with him, seated with him at the right hand in the heavenly places, above every rule and authority and power and dominion. In the case he leaves one out, every name that is named. And we tend to read passages like that in Scripture where it talks about principalities and spirits of darkness and powers and authorities, and we love those passages because if you lean to the left, if you tend to be a liberal, then you tend to discard those because you don't believe in the supernatural. You think, oh, that's just superstition. That's not really real. And if you're charismatic and you grew up thinking that every, every tree and chair and everything is about spiritual warfare and that it's because you're uh, facing oppression right now and that's why that you're not growing in the spiritual life and that this person, this cousin that's gone on wayward, maybe uh, possessed by a demon, then everything becomes about spiritual warfare, doesn't it? Evangelicals sometimes, some of them just tend to see these passages and not really know what to do with them, so they just kind of ignore them. And I think the actual interpretation of these texts throughout Scripture is actually more complex because, yes, demon oppression is very real. Very real. But Not all powers and authorities that you read in Scripture are the result of direct demon activity. What do I mean? I mean that the word power and authority is used throughout Scripture to refer to human authorities or human institutions or very human things that have become something more than what they were intended to be. And they are given a power in your life that becomes demonic when it's used outside of Christ. What do I mean by that? I mean that money is a wonderful tool that we all use and spend and use, but if you, if you use money as a way to determine your self-worth, then you become mastered by money. It's no longer a servant for you. It is a power and authority over you. Or even for family. If you view family and family identity as what is most important in your life, your kin or your tribe or your community, and it spills out over the banks, it becomes racism. It becomes sinful. So things that are good and given to us to be used as tools, Paul even says in Galatians, the law, the Old Testament can become used in that way. It was given to us to direct us to Christ. And yet we can use it as kind of a measuring stick by which we view ourselves worthy of God's presence or not. That becomes a power and authority over our life. So yes, demons are real and they are on the attack. But also, probably more in your life and in mine are the fact that we raise good things up to have power and dominion over our life that were meant to be servants. And here, Paul is saying that Christ has raised us up above all power and authority because he has seated us at the Father's right hand together with him. We've been raised with Christ. 
But there's a power and authority over your life. And I mentioned it earlier. It's this notion of individual spiritual growth or individual self-actualization that keeps you from experiencing joy as God intended you to experience it in community together. And the individual is saved. Yes, you're chosen before the foundation of the world to be his, you. And if you had been born, the only one to be born in time or history, then Christ would have come and died just for you. That's how much he loves you. But he's called you into this community together, and he has said, and he says again in his text, that please don't let your self-identity become an idol over you that you worship. It becomes a power and authority. And one of the reasons why we don't invest into community more is because it takes effort. It's hard. I just want to name it. And to sign up for a community group takes risk. What if I don't like it? Well, it's only for three months. That's why if you don't like it, you can change to a new one. And it's okay. We give you permission not to like community groups here. Well, what if I invest into this relationship and it doesn't work out? Okay, well, then maybe that's a great opportunity for you to practice forgiveness or practice grace. Or what if I lean into this people? What if they really find out the real me? Kind of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this idea that if I, if I leave this squeaky clean life at Trinity and then at home, my life is a total mess that nobody in this room knows about. Listen, we confess our sin every week together because we are saying all of our lives are messes, not just externally, but behind closed doors. There is, there is no behind the stage for the Christian. What we are behind the curtain is the same as we are outside the curtain. And we can say that with confidence because your Savior loves you. Time and effort are the two greatest obstacles. They all boil down. Everything that you said, your different agendas, time, the stage of life, really it's about time and it's about effort. And the Apostle Paul says that you live between the times and time will always be a tension in your life until you allow yourself to lay down your use of time before the cross and say, Lord, help me to use my time in a way that honors you. And for some of us, that may mean that we need this season to get into a community group and to just invest into those relationships, not because of the return you'll get from it, maybe because of what you could potentially give to that group. And it's going to take effort. It's not easy to do that. It's vulnerable, and we do not like vulnerability in an age of expressive individualism. But it is what makes the church the church. Paul says later in Ephesians in chapter 3, if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. In chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says that I came to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We are the wisdom of God to the world. We together have to figure out how to untie that knot. Can we do it? Can this church untie the knot? 
It's not like other churches haven't been able to do it. It's not like we're special if we can do it. But this idea of community is one of the great opportunities God gives us in our church. To be a community where people are able to come as they are. To see the beauty of Christ shape them, form them, mold them into who he's created them to be. Community. It is the Gordian knot of our age. It takes time. And it takes effort. Because there are principalities, the spirits of darkness that are over you that have caused you to be oppressed by idols and systems of individualism that cover your eyes to the benefits of being in community. So therefore, if those are the challenges, what are the resources that we have? We'll look at the text with me. There are four, four gospel resources. We have a new awareness. We have a new hope. We have a new acceptance. And we have a new power. First, a new awareness. Verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul uses a metaphor here that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Where he said way back in Isaiah chapter 9. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. This metaphor of light coming into a dark world is all throughout the Old Testament. And here Paul says, as Christians, upon you the light has shined. Your hearts have been enlightened to the good news of the gospel. You have a new awareness where you're able to see. Many, many, um, uh, well, not that long ago, there was, a, there was a, a man who was in prison in Iran whose name was, he's an Iranian journalist. His name was Ibrahim Navawi. He was a political prisoner in an Iranian prison. And he spoke about his torture in that particular horrible phase of his life. And this is what he had to say. I was held captive by a weapon sharper than a knife, louder than a gun, by something without a face, without a voice. And since my release, I have not been able to sleep without sleeping pills. It's terrible. The loneliness never leaves you. Long after you are free, every door that is closed brings me back to that dungeon. They get what they want without having to hit you. They know enough about you to control the information that you get. They can make you believe that the president has resigned, that they have your wife, that someone you trust has told them lies about you. You begin to break. And once you break, they have control. And then you begin to confess. What he's experienced is what is called white torture. It is a type of psychological warfare that includes extreme sensory deprivation and isolation. And carrying out this type of torture makes the detainees lose personal identity and it decreases the human production through a long period of isolation. In his particular context, those who kept him tried to mute every sound that he could be exposed to, tried to whitewash every color that he saw, in a cell with no windows. They even put pads on their shoes to muffle the sound of footsteps as guards came to the door. When he had to use the restroom, he was to slip a white sheet of paper under the door. This kind of description of torture is it's hard to hear. But might something similar be happening in Oklahoma? 
in all of the church in the U.S., when we think about the way that we grow, is only through our individual spiritual growth. Might the oppression that we're experiencing be because we have not been able to enter in to the difficulty of relationships together because it takes time and effort? Take off the masks, Trinity. The gospel rips them off and helps you see the inner world of the flesh. We are saved already, but not yet. We have a new awareness of our sin and therefore a new awareness of the need for community together. Can we untie the Gordian knot? Where is it? How are we doing? Ah, ha, ha. It's coming apart. We have a new awareness. Secondly, we have a new hope. Verse 18 says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Again, Paul's verb tense seems strange, doesn't it? To know the hope which he has called, past tense, you, plural. The verb is past action with continuing effects. The call brings hope, the hope that he has called you into. This hope is not a vain hope. This hope is not a hollow hope. This hope is the hope of the presence of God himself with you by the Holy Spirit in community together. It fills you with a sense of camaraderie, of identity, of fellowship that is integral to your spiritual life. It reminds you again that your salvation is given to you. It is not earned. There was an ad. You may have seen this ad for the Marines that came on long ago. There's this amazing scene where these Marines are fighting like crazy and, you know, makes every one of us want to go and join and sign up. And in the very end, it says, U.S. Marines, earned, never given. And the gospel turns that whole ad on its head, doesn't it? We hear the declaration, given, couldn't be earned. And so then we move out to fight the battles that are before us, to push against the white torture of individualism, to untie that Gordian knot so that we can experience what it's like to be a community together. You have a new awareness, Christian. Do you have eyes to see it? You have a new hope. The new hope is that Christ is over every power and authority. He has conquered death and hell for you. And that gives you hope. Hope to have genuine and real relationships as tough as they are. Thirdly, we have a new acceptance. Verse 18 says, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? You don't get an inheritance unless you've been accepted as a child, as a beneficiary. And in the gospel, the doctrine of adoption becomes one of the most precious doctrines the older that we get. Because our adoption means that we are loved like Christ himself is loved. Our adoption means that we are honored like Jesus is honored, every one of us, no matter what our life situation is like. Your circumstances cannot hinder or threaten that promise. In fact, your bad circumstances only help you understand and even claim the beauty of that promise even more. The more that you live out of who you are in Christ, the more you become like Him in actuality. Paul, friends, is not promising you better life circumstances. He is promising you a better life itself. Because he has said that your acceptance is sealed in the heavens. And if your acceptance is sealed by the only one whose opinion of you really matters anyway, what's wrong with us being able to be a community together? We can be. If we can learn as a church to untie the Gordian knot.
Leslie Newbegin, a British missionary, had this to say, Whatever we worship, we will serve, for worship and service are always inextricably bound together. We are covenantal beings. We enter into covenant service with whatever most captures our imagination and heart. It ensnares us so every human personality, community, thought form, and culture will be based on some ultimate concern or some ultimate allegiance, either to God or to some God substitute. And the best way to define sin for us is the same as it was for the Israelites. Good things become ultimate things. And we will know that we are in community together, not when we have a ton of community groups, but when there's a spirit of joy in our church. There's a spirit of love in our church. There's a spirit of trust in one another in our church because we're able in the great economy of the gospel to give and to forgive, to show mercy and to repent and to go to each other and to keep very short accounts. The goal of the gospel is not community. That's the context of the gospel. The goal of the gospel is joy in God. But it happens in community. How are we doing with the not? Where is it? It's a mess. Can we keep untying the Gordian knot? There are still knots to untie. Lastly, not only do you have a new awareness, you have a new hope, you have a new acceptance, you have a new power. Paul here is heaping synonyms on top of synonyms when he writes in verse 19. And what is his power toward us who believe? No, 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 that's not good enough, Paul says. What is the greatness of his power toward us who believe? No, 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 that doesn't yet get it either. What is the immeasurable greatness of power toward those of us who believe? It's like he's trying to heap the Greek synonyms on top of each other the best that he can to say, you have a new power. What is that power? That power in you is not willpower. So that when you're angry, you don't say to yourself, gosh, I'm a Christian. I've got to stop being angry. You don't just say to yourself, I've got to stop doing that. You say, I'm a Christian. And I'm angry. Why am I angry? What is the sin beneath my anger? What is it that I want that is being kept from me that makes me so angry? And what is the idol beneath that sin that has a hold on me that makes me so filled with rage? Oh, Father, show me the idol of my heart. The power that you have in you is a power to go back again to the cross again and again and again. Because you're not changed by willpower. You are changed by going again to the foot of the cross and asking yourself, what is the sin beneath the sin? It is a power to, ask, to allow you to ask yourself the question, why do I do this? And not to be fearful of the answer because the answer is that you are more sinful than you can imagine yourself being. And you are more broken and jacked up than you are aware of right now. But the gospel is good news and he holds you together. Let's ask the question together. And let's fight the flesh together. We only get a foretaste in this life, but it is a real taste of the power that comes to us through Christ. And we become healed of the alienation of our present age the more that we lean into community together to confess our fears. 
And we no longer have to fall apart. Although now we fall apart emotionally, we fall apart psychologically, we fall apart relationally, yes, even relationally because of the fall. But ultimately, we know that we will be put together, that we are slowly making strides to being one together as we come again to the beauty of the cross of Christ. Are you with me? In 333 B.C., Alexander the Great didn't know how to untie that Gordian knot either. And so he took out a sword and he cut through it. And the prophecy was fulfilled, and he became the ruler of all of Asia. And 333 years later, Jesus Christ came. And the great Gordian knot of sin and death that kept all of the ancient Near East at the time bound up in their self-centered strategies for salvation. Jew, Gentile, Roman, Israelite, everyone. And he says the same to us in 2018. And Jesus took that great Gordian knot, and only by his power did he untie it. Not with a sword, for the sword pierced his side, but with hands of love. He searched for the source of that knot, and he untied it. It took him all the way back to the garden where he became the second Adam. And slowly but surely, Jesus began to untie the knot through three years of public ministry. And when he got that long hundred-foot rope, as you're trying to untie together in community this morning, when he finally got it, you know what they did with it? He freed us up, and they used it to bind his hands to a stake where they whipped him with a cat of nine tails. And they tied the cross around his back, and they told him to walk to Golgotha with that cross bound on his back with the rope that he himself untied, that great Gordian knot of sin and death for you and me. And then they put him on that cross. And there at the foot of the cross was that great rope that they had used to tie the cross to him to walk through the streets of Jerusalem, that they had used to tie his hands around a stake where they beat him, 40 lashes less one. And then he stood there, and instead of the sword, it pierced his side, and he had his hands pierced and his feet. And he hung there as a great symbol of the Gordian knot being untied. And he died for you and for me. And he died so that Trinity Presbyterian Church might become a pilot project for Owasso and for Tulsa of what it means to be in community. And community groups are not a program. They're not some kitschy thing we do. They are to lower the barrier for you to enter into relationship. Because the front line of pastoral care in your life comes through those community groups. Are you in one? Do you have a new awareness to see your need for one? Do you have a new hope that Christ's acceptance of you is fixed in the heavens? What he has begun to do in you, he will certainly fulfill. Do you understand your new acceptance is in him? And do you have a new power that allows you, not by not by not, to slowly but surely begin to untie that great Gordian knot? Jim, would you raise that knot up for us to see? Where, what kind of progress have you made? We're getting closer. I'm going to leave the Gordian knot up here at the front after the Lord's Supper. And if you're bored and you fidget and you're a behavioral learner, you're welcome to keep coming to untie that knot because I'm going to have to this afternoon if you don't. The church is a place where we learn to untie difficult issues like community together. Would you lean into it? The goal is not community. The goal is your joy, which is not found in the idols of your heart. 
It is found in pushing against the time and the effort that's required for you to be all that Christ has called you to be in community together. Amen? Amen. Far above all rulers, powers, and authorities, Christ has seated us in the heavenly places. May we be a snapshot to the world of what Christ's body is to be. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to become the community that you've called us to be? To recognize that we all have many agendas, that we all are in different phases of life. You've called us to be a community together, and you have given us the opportunity now to become the church that leans into life together. Would you help us to know how to do that? Jesus, we need your help because we default toward individualism. We need your help to want to go to community group when it feels inconvenient. We need your help to want to invite people over for dinner. We need your help to want to reach out to those who are new. We need your help to break out of the cliques. We need your help to not be inward focused, to be outward facing in our church. Father, help us. Help us even outside of our church to not just think we have it all together, but to love others who go to other churches where the gospel is preached and to lock arms with them and to say, isn't it amazing we can be Christians together in different churches, even different denominations with different perspectives, centered on the gospel together, Christ's righteousness for us. Oh, Father, may that be our identity, Christ's righteousness for us. And may you make us the community you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.